0: Hello and welcome to PFF Fantasy Football Podcast, USFL edition. I'm your host, Ian Hart. It's happy midway point, everyone. We have made it through five weeks of this lovely league. I couldn't be happier with the progress so far. Look, I will tweet out a dope one-handed catch, an awesome throw, a cool helmet cam video. And the first thing haters have to say is, look at the empty stands. There's nobody watching the game. So if you are just going to sit here and judge the league based on how others are choosing to attend these games, which are only in Birmingham, fine, go ahead and be a hater, but if you like dope one-handed catches, actually okay quarterback play, tightly contested games, 15 out of 20 games so far have been one-score contests, and other cool shit like live mics everywhere to hear all the players talking shit, helmet cams on hurdles, USFL has all that and more, so again, it's one of these weird phenomenons where NFL fans are almost like being challenged by the U that- everyone, including me, knows that the USFL is not a challenge to the NFL. I'm not sure why there are these loyalists, if you will, that try to almost put down the success of the USFL. They make fun of the TV ratings. They make fun of a lot of things that have nothing to do with the actual football being played by a bunch of gentlemen that just have the dream of playing this lovely game professionally. So um, I'm a big MMA fan. It kind of reminds me of how UFC fans, also the premier organization in the world, will almost put down you know one championship in Bellator and of these fighters from the other organizations who, like, yeah, I hear you that most of them are not as good as the fighters you'll find in the UFC, but also, like, I don't think we need to be siding with the billionaire organization over a bunch of 20 something people trying to make a living. So, hey, I'm here speaking to you. You're listening to this podcast. Clearly, you are a UFC, USFL diehard like myself. And for that, I thank you. I don't want to focus on uh, the negatives too much, the haters out there in the world, but just after five weeks, I wanted to say that because truly, um, you know, after week one, week two, we had some questions about the overall offensive stability but I just think the broadcasts have been really cool again just having this type of games and finally getting some semblance of good offense you know bravo to the USFL and everything they've managed to do so far I can't wait for the next five weeks and two playoff editions going to be in Canton Ohio football capital of the world I cannot wait to hopefully go catch those in person so with all that said everyone hope you guys have been enjoying the games as much as I have let's quickly break down what happened in week five and as always we'll be back on Thursday to preview what's going on in week six so starting things off Friday night matchup. They put this one at 8 p.m. instead of 10 p.m. Uh, much appreciated here. Tampa Bay Bandits took down the Michigan Panthers, 27 to 20. Electric start. We had back to back trick play touchdowns on the third and fourth drives of these games. First up was Jeff Fisher calling the double pass went end up going from Shea Patterson to Joe Walker to Ryan O'Malley. Yes, the USFO allows you to do two forward passes as long as they are both behind the line of scrimmage, which I'm a fan of. I mean, you know, at the end of the day, with that first pass behind the line, you're just trying to. Check if it was backwards or forwards. If you don't go past the line, who really cares? Saves us a lot of time with some of these meaningless reviews. So Panthers got the quick lead, but literally the first play, the next drive, flea flicker, goodness. Jordan Tiamu ended up finding Derek Dylan for the long score. Hope you guys caught the preview edition where we did name Derek Dylan as the primary stacking partner with Jordan Tiamu because Derek Willies was moved to the inactive list earlier in the week. So that's the biggest edge you can have right now in these DFS formats. And you know if you have gambling legal in your state and you're able to play some of these prize prize picks like just paying attention to what, what guys are in an active list and what guys aren't is going to be your best bet of success because the DraftKings prices are not correlated with seemingly anything and I just think that you know with these lower leagues I've heard of a bunch of people having success you know with WNBA betting and some of the leagues that just don't have the same sort of coverage devoted to them and because of that we can gain edges just by covering the news that nobody else wants to exactly cover end up seeing Jawan Washington score a couple times later for the Bandits. This was the same thing. We knew B.J. Emmons was at risk of being out. He ended up being inactive, and Jawan Washington played every single snap as the bell cow. Never understood throughout the year why Jawan wasn't being used more as a scat back when you look at his size, but we saw through Dwayne's handy-dandy utilization report that Jawan Washington was, um, you know, just being used basically as an every-down, excuse me, every-down backup to Emmons when he was out there. So uh, just another one of those things. Don't worry, I'm not planning on, you know, jerking myself off for this entire podcast, but it just so happens that two of the first three touchdowns of the first game were, you know, specific injury-induced uh, advantages and just opportunities that we were hopefully able to take advantage of, advantage of in our respective DFS lineup. So, good stuff there. Later, we got Jordan Tiamu Dime, 43-yard touchdown to John Franklin. Tiamu really has been starting to play his best ball of late. I know he had the rough game against Birmingham. Also made maybe his single best throw of the season in that game. So I am slightly more confident than I think I was after the first few weeks. And the Bandits, maybe not making a run at the championship, but at least being competitive against some of the leagues. Better teams down the stretch. Final... Touchdown of the game for the Panthers was actually actually a nice throw from Shea Patterson to LaMichael Petway. Best game of the season for Shea Patterson by far. We'll see how much longer he's out there though at Paxton Lynch seemingly returning from that ankle injury sooner rather than later. We will see. I would note though it was Patterson to Petway although right before that Reggie Corbin actually scored another touchdown this time from 15 yards out. That was nullified on a hold. So nullified touchdowns. I like to note them. I understand that the hold, you know Without the hole, probably wouldn't have been a touchdown. Just realized Reggie Corbin was, again, nearly on the verge of providing some good fantasy production, despite not even playing half of the offensive snaps. Final touchdown of the game came from Jawan Washington. Again, 30 yards out, was able to hit the gritty upon scoring. So Juwan Washington, if B.J. Evans is going to miss any extended period of time, he is going to be one of the top fantasy running backs in the USFL, purely because he does not leave the field. Offensive players of the game got to go to the quarterbacks, Shea Patterson and Jordan Tiamu. Patterson, 308 passing yards, didn't even reach 200 in a game in the first four weeks of the year. And he actually did so efficiently. 8.1 yards per attempt was also a single game high. And he chipped in 46 rushing yards. I mean, the most impressive part about Patterson before this game was mostly just his rushing ability. Like in week four, he actually ripped off two or three like really impressive runs. Um, And just to see him continue to be able to do that, it's made the Panthers, even if they're not a good team, team one and four tough to call them good they've lost their four games by a combined 17 points so like michigan has not been getting blown out of the water they've you know they actually have a plus now that i'm doing this in my head right now they've lost their four games by 17 points their only win was a 24 point victory so the michigan panthers are one and four with a plus 17 point or with a plus seven point uh differential sheesh jordan tiamu again Great game from him, 15 of 24, 207 207 yards, good for a season high, 8.6 yards per attempt with those aforementioned two deep touchdowns, back-to-back games without a single turn for worthy play. Again, starting to play the best ball of the season, and luckily we haven't seen Brady White for weeks at this point. Defensive player of the game, got to go to Bandit's Edge, Greg Reeves, racked up a pair of sacks and notched the single highest overall PFF grade at 92.4 on the week for a defensive player want to quickly go over some fantasy football notes and have stopped, uh, you know, with the screen share for you, YouTube faithful. Just been hearing that we weren't getting the best clarity with it. We'll work on some templates down the road for, you know, our more just fantasy football, less USFL focused podcast. But as always, you can find all these notes, all these stats I'm referencing on PFF.com in my weekly review and preview article. So don't worry, folks, data isn't going anywhere. Just might have to go, you know, click on the old internet to go get it. But anyway... Jordan Tiamu, 100% snaps. Once again, no Brady White to worry about. And Jawan Washington, 100 snaps. Not a, There's not a single other running back on this roster than Jawan Washington and BJ Emmons. So if Emmons is out, it's going to be really tough to get away from Washington and Fantasyland wide receivers. John Franklin, 100% route rate and Derek Dillon, 69%. Everyone else was under 50%. They continue to utilize multiple tight ends. We did see Franklin lead the way with nine targets, 77 air yards. And he's the guy they use occasionally as a Wildcat quarterback. So really annoying with this Bandits offense, even as good as Tiamu in the passing game has been for stretches. They use five, even six wide receivers and two tight ends almost every single week. So John Franklin, and as we saw with Willie's out, you know, Derek Dillon became the play. If you wanted to go with Tiamu just realize, though, it's a tough, tough one to figure out. And I think, you know, generally, if you do want to go with the naked quarterback, you're going to be with Jordan Tiama or DeAndre Johnson over with the Generals. But more on them in a bit. With the Panthers, Shea Patterson, every single snap with Pax and Lynch sideline with the ankle injury. We'll expect something kind of split up if they are both going to be active. Honestly, we'll kind of expect Pax and Lynch to get that chance again this backfield using three guys Reggie Corbin 41% snaps Cameron Scarlett 39% snaps Stevie Sc- Stevie Scott 20% Reggie Corbin though did have 12 of 17 carries from this backfield Cameron Scarlett had the five targets so last week Reggie Corbin was our fade of the week just because of this rotation I mean we always say it all the time on our regular fantasy podcast you can have two running backs and still have you know some solid fantasy goodness once you get to three or four that's when problems arise so Reggie Corbin's a baller but we can't live on these long chunk touchdowns week after week after week unless you're Derrick Henry even then go look at the Derrick Henry stat lines you'll catch those annoying you know 23 carries for 68 yard games here and there as well so Reggie Corbin you know not someone we need to fade each and every week but coming off those two big games I just didn't necessarily like betting on him at enhanced ownership when we're only looking at again 10 to 12 carries without much of a pass game floor in the wide receiver room, Lance Lenore continuing to really just dominate usage. 94% route rate, nine targets, 50 air yards. Devin Ross was number two, but we saw his snaps uh, creep down with Joe Walker and Ray Bolden active. So, honestly, in this Panthers passing game, if you're brave enough to go at Lance Lenore, I think that's the bet. All these other guys in an offense that keeps two, three, four tight ends involved on a weekly basis going to be fading more weeks than not. So, yes, credit to again, defunding Jeff Fishers for having a plus point differential despite being. Being uh one and four on the season. And again, Jordan Tiamu and the bandits look to maybe be finally catching their stride right when it's starting to matter most. New Jersey Generals took down the New Orleans Breakers 27 to 17. This one surprised me, but, you know, when we talked about this one in the preview, the idea to getting past the Generals was always for the Breakers to start hot, get the Generals out of that run-first game plan. It just wasn't meant to be. I mean, the Generals had a 14-3 lead midway through the second quarter after a pair of touchdown runs by DeAndre Johnson, both from two yards out. Credit to Darius Shepard, had a nice 33-yard gain to set up the first one, and then Trey Williams for a nice 28-yard run to get New Jersey in scoring position for the second one. First game all season that DeAndre Johnson played each and every snap. Seems like tentatively the Luis Perez experiment is over. I love it. DeAndre Johnson, number one in the USFL in yards per attempt and provides just a completely different element with what he can do on the ground. New Jersey Generals, now that they are finally embracing DeAndre Johnson as their quarterback, still have some concerns if one of these teams can get up on them in a hurry. But man, this is just a tough team to come from behind against thanks to their ability to run the football. Breakers did make it interesting, though. Kyle Sloter finally got them into the end zone. 13-play, 66-yard drive with a 20-yard touchdown pass to Jonathan Adams. Hey, I've said it once. I'll say it again. I know I'll say it again down the stretch, too. Jonathan Adams, best player in the USFL. This wasn't that incredible of a touchdown, but once again, had 60 yards and a score, I think, on only seven targets. He makes at least one, if not more, NFL-caliber plays per week. Slaughter found the end zone again, this time with Johnny Dixon, back of the end zone on third and eight from the 10-yard line. Johnny Dixon was one of my nine USFL players that stood out after, I think it was three weeks of action when we did that article. And one of the big things I noted was just that at Ohio State, much more a field stretcher, like he looked at his touchdowns per receptions, and it was just wild how often this dude scored. In the USFL, he's kind of showed a renewed ability to work in those intermediate underneath areas of the field on this touchdown, had some toe-tap goodness there in the back. New Jersey quickly responded. Darius Victor, the muscle hamster of the USFL, got another rushing touchdown, this time from seven yards out. So, you know, Victor's right there with Reggie Corbin basically, like they're getting 10 to 15 carries per week, but it's a crowded backfield. So I don't love investing in it. But then we look at the stats at the end of the day and they found the end zone once again. So Victor, he is starting to take over more for Trey Williams. He's no longer like a weekly fade or anything like that because he's working more as a you know one A, one B with Trey Williams earlier in the year. It was more of like a vulture goal line situation. Credit to Victor for winning out that job seemingly. But Trey Williams is still there as well. Anyway, Generals captured that 10-point win. The Breakers just couldn't really get enough going on offense. Slaughter with a pair of picks. Leads us to offensive player of the game. Got to be Generals QB, DeAndre Johnson. Again, 10.1 yards per attempt through the air in this one. Leads the USFL in the season with 10.3 yards per attempt. No other quarterback has more than seven. No, DeAndre Johnson. He's not Kyle Sloter good throwing the ball. He's maybe not even like Brian Scott good. Case Cook is good. Whoever the hell you want to bring out there. But because of what he can do on the ground, it just forces defenses to play him completely different. You know, if you play man coverage, you run the risk of him scrambling and your entire defense having their backs to him. That would create a chunk play. And then when he gets those zones, you got to worry about the zone defenders also having run keys, where then they make a wrong step. And all of a sudden, you know, you got Lonzo Moore running for a 68-yard touchdown like he did last week. So DeAndre Johnson just really adds another element to this offense. It's a fun group. You know, the things they do with Kabonte Turpin in the run game as well. Uh, this New Jersey General's offense proving that just because you're a run-first unit doesn't mean you are boring. Got to get the defensive player of the game to General Safety, Shal- Lam Luwani caught a pair of interceptions on the afternoon, allowed just two of five targets into his coverage to be caught with some of the fantasy football workload notes mentioned DeAndre Johnson taking a hundred percent of the snaps for the first time all year. Darius Victor also had the lead over Trey Williams, 57% to 43%. Both guys staying involved though. 18 combined carries and targets for Victor, 16 for Williams so if we do see Victor you know really just starting to command more of that ownership being treated as the number one back here because of those touchdowns just realize Trey Williams can help make up for some of that in the receiving game and it's legal to score a touchdown you know outside of being what you're allowed to score touchdowns when you're not inside the five yard line I mentioned before how Trey Williams set up one of those maybe one of these days he'll be able to scoot in there from 10 plus yards out with Jamal Moore still sidelined, three wide receiver sets for Alonzo Moore, Darius Shepard, and Kavante Turpin. Shepard and Turpin, I believe, are ingrained, particularly Turpin uh, with what they do with him in the run game. Alonzo Moore, even with his, you know, weak high 92% snaps, I think he'd be the one we'd see go back to wide receiver four if Jamal Moore is healthy enough to suit up. And at tight end, Woody Brandom, 80% route rate, 100% snap rate. Just realized that Braden Bowman was sidelined in this one. So if Bowman's going to be back in the picture, going to be tough to exactly expect Brandon to be playing that sort of every down role. With the breakers, Kyle Sloter taking each and every snap, as he should. Not his best performance, but we still consider this the best passing game in the USFL. More interesting was the backfield. Jordan Ellis, 75% snaps, 72% routes, 12 carries and a target. We did see Anthony Jones get eight carries and a target on just 25% of the snaps. But with Larry Rose inactive, it is good to see Jordan Ellis just really cemented as the number one. I think this was Anthony Jones' first maybe second game so if we start seeing these snaps rise up then that could be problematic but again we can live with these two back committees the nightmare scenario was for you know Anthony Jones to come in get this usage at the expense of Jordan Ellis and also have Larry Rose continuing to do his thing the fact that they're basically just kind of swapping Anthony Jones and Larry Rose is similar to what Houston is doing behind Mark Thompson so Jordan Ellis remains firmly in the conversation as you know one of the biggest bell cows in the league at wide receiver. Jonathan Adams continues to work ahead of everyone else. He's been at 90% routes in consecutive weeks. Only six targets in this one, but again, more than made up for with him just being a freaking baller. Behind him, Johnny Dixon, 199 air yards on the week was the most in the USFL and had 11 targets. Scored the touchdown, didn't put up the biggest numbers, but it does seem like him and Taiwan Taylor are separating a little bit from Sean Poindexter. Dixon was at 85% routes, Taylor was at 79%, Poindexter all the way down at 44%. Not saying this is game Guaranteed, the rest of the way, last week we did see Poindex or Taylor Dixon more firmly rotating as the complementary receivers, but for now, it's certainly uh, working out for Taylor and particularly uh, Dixon, again, with all those air yards. Tight end, Sal Canela, 95% snaps, 97% route rate for targets for these seven air yards for his trouble. He is a true every down player in this offense. And yeah, Generals anyone's idea of the league's number two team at this point credit to them didn't exactly see it coming their defense does a great job playing with the lead and their offense just runs the hell out of the ball i do think there's something to be said about the Generals being the run-first attack that they are. That does help your defense. It goes hand-in-hand with that, just like the Stars who are about to get to being the most pass-happy offense, I I think, doesn't do their defense any favors in terms of recovery, you know, being able to stay on that sideline, get that extra breath, things of that nature. So there you go, New Jersey Generals sitting as the USFL's second-best team after five weeks of action. Birmingham Stallions took down the Philadelphia Stars 30-17, to What we were worried about ended up happening, it just didn't matter. So I actually picked the stars to cover in this one just... I thought that we had Alex Magoo and Jamar Smith, and I thought there was going to be some trouble in paradise, you know, going into the year. Hand up. I was wrong before any snaps have been played. I said Birmingham was going to be the worst team in the league because of Alex Magoo, and I will say, people, he was making me look pretty right during the first half in this one. Four for 11 passing. He did find Marcel Darius uh, for a score from 17 yards out uh, to get the Stallions on the board for their first touchdown of the game. It was a good job by Magoo scrambling, but my God, this dude, like, every single read option they called he was trying to keep it couldn't tell you if that was the design for all of them or if it was the right move wasn't gaining a ton of yard zone didn't exactly look all that lethal with the ball in his hands just seemed like an erratic performance from start to finish so I'm hoping that with Alex Magoo they just gave him that job because to be fair he was the week one starter you don't like seeing you know the preferred the superior player purely lose their job due to injury once they're healthy enough to come back but he now lost it when he's healthy because Jamar Smith is the better quarterback. So Stars managed to go up 14-7 to and kind of force Birmingham stand Birmingham's hand to go back to Jamar Smith. Credit to Paul Terry for being a big reason why. First play of the game, he ripped off a pretty 43-yard run. That was one of his two carries, though, like. I love you, Bart Andrews. You're throwing the ball all over the yard. That's great. When your running back rips off a 43-yard run in the first play of the game, maybe give him more than one extra carry the rest of the game. And then Terry also had a 23-yard pass down the sideline. Tote tap goodness once again uh, to really show what he can do. You know, going into the year, Paul Terry, running back slash wide receiver. You saw that in this one. Even with Darnell Holland active for the first time in weeks. Unfortunately, it was. their other running back, Matt Colburn, who capped off that first drive with a short two-yard touchdown run to basically vulture away from Paul Terry later it would go back to Terry nine yards for a touchdown so two carries by Paul Terry one for a nine-yard touchdown one for a 43-yard jolt up the middle what the hell give the guy the ball more he looked good out there like breaking tackles have not seen really any other running backs other than Mark you know Mark Thompson I think CJ Maribel has flashed a little bit Paul Terry and what he was doing early on this game was very impressive hopefully they feature him more in the future once Jamar Smith got under center for Birmingham, this game just turned in a hurry for the Stallions. He was able to lead them down, down the field for a touchdown drive on his first drive back in the game. Ended up being a 29-yard touchdown from, uh, actually, C.J. Maribel in this one. Ended up being, er, okay, excuse me there. Marlon Williams was the one that scored the touchdown. My bad, everyone. My bad. Getting through it. Uh, Marlon Williams, basically what happened was Jamar Smith felt the pressure, moved up in the pocket, found Marlon Williams, like 15 yards downfield, who then put his foot foot in the dirt, took it 38 yards for the score, so really great yak ability from Marlon Williams, also a good job from Jamar Smith to extend that play, and then we got the CJ Maribel touchdown at the beginning of the third quarter, shifty 29-yard scamper up the middle, so first three drives that Jamar Smith came in, it was touchdown, a missed field goal that had a drop touchdown to Osiris Mitchell from five yards out, and then another touchdown, so Jamar Smith, man, all year he's been kind of iffy in the first half and then just been really turning it on in the second half. Uh, shouldn't be any surprise that he came in and just played the lights out. And this one, final touchdown of the game was from Smith himself, two yards out. Credit to Bo Scarborough, new Birmingham Stallion player, uh, for racking up, I think, like five carries on that drive. He was looking good in between the tackles there down the stretch. But for the offensive players of the game, got to go with Stallions quarterback Jamar Smith and running back CJ Maribel. Overall Smith 17 of 22, 203 yards and a score and also chipped in that rushing touchdown at the end of the game. So coaching malpractice at this point, if they go back to Alex Magoo, what more do you need to see? This is Jamar Smith's team. And then also Maribel, shout out to him, 131 total yards and a score on 25 touches. Still though, this was a situation where we saw Bo Scarborough come in and we'll kind of talk about this specifically in a minute, but Bo Scarborough came in and we still saw Tony Brooks James having his backup role so only one touch for Tony Brooks James maybe he is completely out of the picture in the future uh for for Marable though I'm a little more concerned about his future job as opposed to someone like Jordan Ellis like Mark Thompson who we're seeing continue to really just hold on to the lead role in a more condensed two-back committee Defensive player of the game, got to be Stallings cornerback Josh Shaw, one of only two players on the week to receive an overall PFF defensive grade north of 90. Shaw allowed just five scoreless yards on two completed passes into his coverage. Not for the fantasy football notes. Stallions, Jamar Smith took over from Alex Magoo midway through the second and then played every single snap. Overall was 71% on the day. You would hope that would be 100% next week. CJ Maribel, 78% snaps, 71% routes, 23 carries and 3 targets. Bo Scarborough ultimately had 7 carries on the day. So... We talked about this. It's a little bit worrisome to take a new player or someone coming off injury and assuming their first week snaps are going to just persist. A lot of times you will see those increase, but with the way Maribel playing, you would like to think he's still going to be good for 15 to 20 combined carries and targets per game. Continue to love what B- Birmingham does at wide receiver because they mostly just keep the same three guys out there. Victor Bolden, ninety-seven percent uh, routes; of Mitchell, eighty-two percent; Marlon Williams, ninety-five percent. They had seven, seven, and eight targets respectively. So Bolden, Mitchell, and Williams. Now that we got Smith back under center, can feel better than ever about trusting you know each of them in an actual in an, in a passing game that actually prevents some semblance of upside. Final note, Kerry Angeline, 92% route rate. Just realize that is contingent on Sage Surratt remaining on the inactive roster. With the stars, Case Cook is continuing to take every single snap. Not bad. Fast rush got to him a little bit, continues to hit those uh, vertical concepts quite well. It's kind of everything else that leaves a lot to be desired. So I think Brian Scott just a little bit better, you know, understanding command of the offense, which makes sense. He's been playing with Bart Andrews since the spring league. Maybe Cookus will get better as the year goes on. But yes, this backfield is the confusing part. Paul Terry, 49% snaps, 49% routes. I mean, again, when I was reviewing this today, I was like, did he get hurt? Because he was so good in the first couple drives. But as you can see from 49% snap rate, just seems to be a coaching decision matt colburn coming in splitting things up i'm going to be staying away from this in the future though because darnell holland was active just two percent snaps though if he's going to be active again he was their week one starter week two starter as well i would imagine that holland is going to get back to that at some point right now terry's looking like the only somewhat you know usable fantasy guy that's more so because of his pass down role i think the answer to the stars backfield committee for now is probably just no At wide receiver, Jordan Suo, 85% route rate, 115 air yards with a team-high eight targets. No other wide receiver than Chris Rowland had more uh, than even three targets, so... Devin Gray, DeAndre Overton—they were the guys in three wide receiver sets. But Bug Howard basically plays wide receiver for them. Team high 119 air yards, and then we have Maurice Alexander stealing some stuff away as well. So in this pass happy offense, they like rotating guys. Sewell and Bug Howard have emerged as the top two players, though. So Birmingham again, let's keep Jamar Smith out there. You got Jamar Smith, you got that pass rush—they can hang with just about anybody. So as long as Alex McGoo is not going to force his way back in that starting lineup, I do think Birmingham continues to deserve that number one seed in the USFL. Final game, Pittsburgh Maulers took down the Houston Gamblers 21-20. to Look like this one might get away from the Maulers in a hurry. We had Clayton Thorson hook up with Isaiah Zuber for a 24-yard score. Hand up, Isaiah Zuber is a baller didn't give him enough credit earlier in the year. I thought it was going to be one of those cases where this guy scores a couple touchdowns early on then mostly fades in the black. Not necessarily against Zuber, more so just because I didn't trust Clayton Thorson. We've seen a lot of games from Thorson consist of you know 120 to 130 passing yards. Just didn't think Zuber could overcome that. But my God, in this one, 24-yard touchdown was a very good throw from Thorson. And for sissy Zuber go up and make the contested catch was awesome. But then later, he had like a 45-yard catch and run where he just really showed me something in terms of what he was able to do after the catch so at this point guys Jonathan Adams Bailey Gaither Trey Walker Johnny Dixon Isaiah Zuber I think those have to be uh, your top five USFL wide receivers apologies if I'm forgetting someone I just listed those off top of my head I love this league Second touchdown for the Gamblers ended up being a one-yard score from uh, Clayton Thorson. Very frustrating for Mark Thompson, uh, fantasy investors, because Thompson did most of the work on the drive. He hurtled a dude with the helmet cam to get them in this position in the first place. And then the Gamblers, they called a run for Mark Thompson. You saw Thorson get the snap and try to give it to him. The problem was it was a bad snap. Thompson basically ended up becoming a lead blocker. Thorson was just able to reach the ball over the pylon. So if any of you out there barely lost your DFS contest, because Mark Thompson was like five points away. Yeah, sorry, that freaking sucks. But game was not over. Gamblers had that 17-6 lead. Mahlers did not quit. Vad Lee, that's his name. He got added to the roster on May 10th to be Kyle Lilletta's backup. He ended up playing basically the entire second half, and it was terrible at first. Like, no offense to Vad Lee, but he had this throw where it was just, like, rolling out to his left, under pressure, still a one-score game, like, eight minutes left in the fourth, and just chucked it and without a huge hit by Trey Walker. It should have been probably a pick six. So, Vad Lee, look just you know he he looked horrendous until he didn't so credit to not looking horrendous for the entire game managed to find Bailey Gaither from 30 yards out to make it a two uh point game even this touchdown like Bailey Gaither it did not look like the right read he had two defenders you know on his hip but the ball was thrown in the right spot Gaither went up there made the great catch touchdown Mahlers 17 to 15 and then everyone with just four seconds remaining after Lee drove them down one play to go went back to his guy Bailey Gaither nine yards Touchdown victory for the Maulers. I said I wasn't going to pat my back the whole podcast, but hey, we did call the Maulers finally snapping their, uh, you know, winless stretch of the season. I know it came down to the final play, but they would have covered anyway, so love to see that. Got a nice, uh, I think we're only 2 on 2 in the week, so we're not going to, you know, go too crazy here with the champagne or anything like that, uh, but it was good to see the Maulers get that W, because they really haven't been playing that bad compared to the rest of the teams. Like it's, I think if we had to, you know, just do like t- uh, tiers in terms of the teams, and if you had to really just make the gaps wide, like there just isn't that big of an overall gap. I think even between the best and worst team, that's why 15 of the 20 games have been one score affairs. So players of the game got to be Mauler's wide receiver Bailey Gaither and Gamblers' wide receivers Isaiah Zuber and Tio Redding. Redding. Um. Trey Walker also had a big game for the Maulers. We mentioned last week in the preview episode some of the possibility of you know, pivoting to Gaither, who had been inactive for the last few weeks. Hope you guys were able to take advantage of that. But I mean, Trey Walker, he still caught 10 passes for 82 yards in his own right. Obviously, wasn't a good fade. And in this offense, when we have so much of it condensed to Gaither and Walker, could be some good opportunities down the road if you know we're going to see uh, Lee end up having more good days than not. I don't know, though, guys. Like All due respect to Gaither and Trey Walker I just don't I'm not going to be expecting Vadley or Kyle Luletta to give us all that much on a week to week basis with the gamblers, already talked a lot about Zuber. In terms of T.O. Redding, he had one catch, but it was maybe the best catch of the year. Like, oh, my God. Down the sideline, fourth quarter, one hand. That's how I was saying at the top of the show. Like, we've been getting some of these plays literally from the first play of the season uh, when Luis Perez chucked it up to um, Satterfield, who's now, like, not even cracking the rotation. Uh, but, yeah, just some of the wide receiver play, in particular in this league, has been awesome. To no surprise, there are, you know, a few more athletes than on NFL rosters still kick. Case- Capable of creating some good televisions from time to time. So just truly can't say enough good things about that T.O. Redding catch. Check it out if you haven't already. Defensive player of the game, got to be Mahler's edge, Carlo Kemp. Highest PFF pass rush grade on the week at 86.3 and had five pressures, 42.9% win rate. That is ridiculous, people. Some fancy fancy football workload notes. Mentioned Vad Lee signing on May 10th and then taking Kyle Uleta's job on May 15th. and up playing 82% of the snaps and gives us a little bit more rushing upside than we're used to. Had five carries on the afternoon. Garrett Groschek continued to be RB1 in terms of snaps, but he had seven carries, five targets. Madre London also had 12 combined carries and targets as well, despite playing just 33% of the snaps. So Groshek... He's the guy I would pick, but this is such an evenly split two-back committee in an offense that hasn't been scoring many points for most of the year. Uh, It's just not really the most fantasy-friendly group to be a part of. Mention Gaither. Mention Walker. With that said, though, it was Gaither 100% routes, Walker 98%. Delvin Hardaway right there at 89% in his own right. And Hardaway actually had nine targets in 114 air yards. So Hardaway had the big time numbers. Again, if Josh Herzmeyer gave a shit about the USFL and had, you know, our air yard regression model up there, we'd see Delvin Hardaway's name at the top of the list going into next week. With the Houston Gamblers, Clayton Thorson taking all the snaps. That's still a little bit reliant on Kenji Bahar missing time with his hand injury, but haven't heard anything about him necessarily being ready to come back yet. So continue to treat Thorson as a QB1 Houston, forever that is worth. Mark Thompson continued to dominate the workload on the ground. Dalen Dawkins was back in for Devon Whaley. Either way, regardless of who is in, they just play as a distant number two option. So all wheels continue to be up for Mark Thompson. And then at wide receiver, Isaiah Zuber, 96% routes, 138 air yards. Tio Reddick, 93% routes, routes Anthony Ratliff-Williams, 82%. Those are your big three in Houston. So awesome walk-off victory. You know, probably the two worst teams in the league. But, hey, the two worst teams in the league gave us a one-point game that went down the final snap and actually had, you know, a handful of truly awesome highlights to go along with it. So if that's a matchup between the two worst teams in the league, It's my kind of league. So thank you, as always, for tuning in to the USFL edition of the PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. We'll continue to be here twice every week covering this beautiful league. And on the actual fantasy football side of things, we'll have team preview episodes out Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday for next eight weeks. In addition to some Wednesday stream goodness with myself and Dwayne The Rock McFarlane. We'll also get some Q&A stuff going sooner rather than later and the occasional 10 questions podcast thrown there as well. A lot of work, but it's freaking football people, nothing I I love more in this world. So thanks again for tuning in. I'm Ian Harditz. And until next time, take care, everybody.